0: Hey, this is Alex Moore, lead pastor of New Life Community Church in Kansas City, Missouri. Thanks for taking time to listen to this message. For more information or to donate, visit newlifekc.com. All right, well, here's the deal. For the last uh, several weeks, we've been in a teaching series on the Church of Ephesus, and we are wrapping it up today. We are bringing it home. We are bringing the airplane down. We are landing. Thank you so much, And so uh, if you've missed any of the previous weeks, we just want to encourage you to go back. We've recorded everything. You can watch those. You can check those out, especially if you're traveling this summer and uh, you're not able to be here in church or make church online. All of those are available to you. But today what we're going to do is we're going to look at the final words that Paul, who was the founding pastor at the church of Ephesus, his final words that he had written to them years after he left Ephesus. So if you have a Bible, we're going to end up in Ephesians 6. Eventually. So that's where we're going to be heading. But before we get into uh, God's word today, uh, by a show of hands, how many of you are movie lovers? We have any movie lovers in the room? Yes, you, my people. All right. There are others of you who are like, I'm not a movie person. I'm a TV show person. Can I see your hands? TV show people. You are like my wife. You are, like, into the cooking shows. You're into watching the reruns. And now with, like, streaming, you don't have to wait a week for the next episode. You just binge it all. And I don't understand it. It's never ending. And then they come out with a new season. Like, how many seasons of Grey's Anatomy have there been? too many. How many seasons of all these shows? It's like too many. And then you get into one and you're like, this is going to be my show. I'm going to watch it. And then they discontinue it. And you're like, this is ridiculous. I should have stuck with the movie. So I'm a movie person. You go two hours, now sometimes three, you're done. That's it. It's the whole story. We had a good plot. We had a good process and it's and it, it summed up. We're good. We're, we're going to move on. Um, so when Missy and I, we started dating uh, years ago, We needed to get to know one another. And and, and so I've always been kind of a movie person. And so I had to find out if this relationship was going to work by finding out what kind of movies she was into and also what movies she hadn't seen. And so I was blown away to find out that she had never seen my favorite trilogy of all time Back to the Future. She'd never seen Marty McFly and Doc and uh, little Einstein the dog. She'd never seen Biff. She'd never seen the whole movie. I was like, listen, we're going to have to watch that together. Now, I didn't tell her, but in my mind, I was like, if she doesn't like this, this might be the end of our dating relationship. (laughs) And so we watched it. She liked it. She enjoyed it. But then, then she did what, like, women do. And she had this, like this move I didn't see coming. She's like, all right, I watched your three movies. Now you have to watch mine. (laughs) I was like, no problem. I've probably already seen it because I'm the movie guy. And she was like, we're going to watch all the Harry Potters. I was like... Are you kidding me? They do not even compare to Back to the Future, and at the time, there was only six of them, oh my goodness, and like two and a half hours, of that was a lot of my life spent watching little Harry Potter grow up, Um, and so (laughs) I watched all of those, and Harry Potter is an interesting thing, you know, I know it had a lot of uh, uh, fanfare because of the books, but then the movies came out, and then they've had little spinoffs and all this stuff, and if you've never seen Harry Potter, one of the captivating aspects of the world of Harry Potter is that there is a magical world that exists, that's in the current reality, we just don't happen to see it. Only the wizards and those who are in this world have access to this other dimension of reality. And and while we all understand that Harry Potter is fictional, it's a made-up story, there is a real spiritual component in our reality, with angels and with demons and with powers of darkness And light that we also never see. And so the first point I want to make today as we start this final message on the church of Ephesus is that what you see is not all there is. That what you see, what you observe, what you're able to sense with your five senses, your little spidey senses, that's not all that there is. There is so much more than what we just see with our eyes. And the supernatural isn't a topic that we necessarily often think about. But if our Bible talks about it, then then so should we. And we need to be aware that the supernatural world is very real and it affects our physical lives. There is a realm out there that we can't see and that often we're unaware of. But it's very real and there's actually a battle for your life. Angels versus demons, good versus evil, a place where sin and virtue collide. And this is the supernatural world that I want us to take a look at today. Again, what you see is not all there is. Now, now the challenge in embracing this simple truth is that the vast majority of people from good churches and good homes do not believe that there is truth outside of themselves that there's no truth outside of themselves that would even determine what's right and wrong. And so I, I put it like this. It's hard for people to believe that there is a universal truth that is right for all people in all places at all times. It's hard for people to embrace this. And whenever we've brought up the topic of the supernatural or angels and demons or spiritual warfare, whenever this conversation comes up in church or even outside of church, I find that people tend to believe what their subjective personal experience, that's not this, their subjective, their personal experience has taught them more so than what the Bible teaches about that topic. For example, let's say that you meet someone and they believe that they have communicated with a dead person. They have connected with someone on the other side of the grave. They have had this subjective, it's something personal, experience that they've had in which they sense that they have heard from the dead. It's like the sixth sense, but a little further. It that I see dead people, I hear dead people, Right? Now, now, here's the deal. They have subjective personal experience, but the Bible actually talks about this. And so what are we going to believe? What our subjective personal experience is said or what the Bible has to say? So here's what the Bible says. The Bible talks about this, and it's called necromancy. Some of you may never have heard that word. It's this definition. We'll put it up here. This is Webster for you. It's the conjuring of the spirits of the dead for purposes of magically revealing the future or influencing the course of events. And in the Bible, necromancy is called divination. It's called sorcery. It's called spiritism. And it's all forbidden many times in Scripture. God is not a fan of it. And we see that in Leviticus, in Deuteronomy, in Galatians, and even in Acts. And it's a practice that is very much Something God is against. You might even say it's an abomination to God. And and here's why. Why why would God have a problem with this? Well, let's talk about it. Let's think about it, okay? First, we need to realize that God has promised to freely give wisdom to all people who ask. James 1.5. If you are wanting information that you do not have, if you're wanting wisdom, if you're wanting truth, all you need to do is ask God. He's promised to give it to you. So, the very practice of necromancy or divination or sorcery is the very opposite of going to God. It's going to some other source to try to get information, which means that we're not acting in faith and trust in God. He's not going to give me what I want. I've got to go some other route. So, that's the first reason God's not a fan of it because you're looking to some other source to meet your need other than Him. But, second, the idea that people's spirits can be contacted for information is false. When a human dies, their spirit doesn't linger here on the earth. It's not still here. It's not wandering around. It's not trying to get some message to you. When a human being dies, their spirit goes to one of two places. It's either going to go to heaven if they've put their trust and faith in Jesus. They will be with Christ or they will go to hell and await further punishment. So if your theology is based on Disney's Coco and you're Miguel and you're trying to have contact with the dead, that's not how it works. <laughs> so, so Pastor Alex, I, I, I don't understand. If 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 it's not possible for us to contact the dead, why would God create like this real? I get like we're not like trusting Him, but like if it doesn't work, what's the harm in it? Like why would God say don't do this? It's an abomination. I'm not for it. Well. I'm so glad that you're thinking that way because I have an answer for that question. See, here's the deal. When you try to communicate with the spirit world, but you're not trying to communicate with the spirit world through Jesus, through God, through the avenues of light that he's provided for us, then what you're doing is you're communicating in the spirit world divorced from God. You're now dealing with demons and are open to spiritual attack. Well, Pastor Alex, but listen, I know that I heard my Grandpa Sam speak to me. I heard that dead voice. I know he spoke to me. That is subjective and a personal experience. But if we're going to allow our lives to be shaped by God's word more so than by my experience, if there is a universal truth, then I have to tell you that, that voice was not your Grandpa Sam. That voice was a lying spirit. And John eight forty four 44 says that the devil is a liar and the father of lies. He's really good at deceiving. And 1 Peter 5, 8 warns us. It says, this is Peter who walked with Jesus. Like he was the gung-ho disciple. He says, listen, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy. I don't know if you knew this. There is an enemy. You have an enemy. Oh, no. I'm so nice. You have an enemy. Who is it? The The devil. What's he doing? Well, he's prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You need to know this. Satan and his demons want to destroy you. They don't have any interest in imparting truth or wisdom to you. Again, what you see is not all there is. And my challenge for you and I today as we bring up this topic and so much subjective experience comes into play, there's two sides of this. Like some people are like, yeah, I don't think that spirit world's really that real. It's not like you're that involved in my life every day. And then there's the people on the other side that everything's the devil. Oh my gosh, I have a headache today. I think the devil's trying to get in my head. You know, have you ever met those people? Oh my gosh, there's just traffic. These demons are on the road today. I don't know. They're manifesting, you know. You have both sides. And so I think we need to be careful of the extremes of saying that there is no spiritual things involved in our world, but also we need to be careful of saying it's all the devil, right? So here would be my pastoral counsel. I thought as I wrote that line, I was like, that's pretty, that's pretty weighty. Pastoral counsel. Here you go. This is, this is from the spiritual leader of this house. Let the Bible filter your experiences. Don't let your experiences filter the Bible. Good. I've experiences, I think that I heard this voice. I think that I've communicated with the dead. I'm going to hold on to that as truth and now read scripture through that lens? No. I'm instead going to read the Bible and say, I need to reinterpret that. We'll put it another way. Uh, let the Bible filter your experiences. How about let the Bible interpret your experiences? We've experienced some stuff. I don't know what I experienced. I think I know. Let's see what God's word has to say. Oh, I understand now what that was. We need to make sure that our starting point, the lens through which we look at things, is truth is God's word, not I'm looking at truth through the filter of my own experience. Because when I do that, I will block out certain truths that God has for me. The Bible has to be what interprets what I experience. The Bible has to filter my experience. If you filter something, that means that there's some things that aren't getting through, right? The Bible needs to be the thing that doesn't let some things through. That was just straight up weird. I don't know what that was. That wasn't of God. If we go the other way around, we're going to have a very unusual faith. And it will not be based upon God's truth. My pastoral counsel. So, The church of Ephesus, as we talk about them, we've been talking about them for for many, many weeks. We need to realize that they had a lot of subjective personal experience with the spirit world. They had experienced things. The whole culture of that day was very mystic. There were lots of people who were trying to cast out demons. There were people who had books, in there, had these seances, and they had these words that they would say. This was the culture. And so these people, that was the normal subjective experience for them. But now they've stepped over the line of faith. They're trusting that Jesus is the Son of God and has provided forgiveness of sins, and he's forming them into this new society. And so now they're having to do some things. They're, one, having to look back at their experience and say, what do I do with these experiences? How do I interpret them if Jesus is real? I need to know how to think about that. And now, as I move forward in my future, how do I approach future things? And so we read about this in week number one, and here's what it says in Acts chapter 19. It says that there was a group of Jews traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits. All right, so can you imagine living in that time? Here comes this group of people. Can you imagine? Like you can just imagine people showing up to your house, back twos, knocking on your door. <laughs> How about this? There's a group of them traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits. And here's what they tried to do. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation. Here's what they were saying: "I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out." <laughs> this is what they were doing, right? This is kind of kind of fun. Um, here's what was happening. The power of God was showing through Paul, and these guys wanted to capitalize on that power. They didn't know Jesus, but that seemed to work. And sometimes we're attracted to the pragmatic. If that works, I think it must be right. But in the kingdom of God, if it's right, it works. It's a little different. And so here we have this idea that these people are trying to use the name of Jesus for their own advancement, We've got our job over here. We cast out evil spirits. Uh, oh, that works. We're going to start using Jesus' name to cast out evil spirits. I don't know if you know this or not. It's not a good idea. You can't use Jesus to advance your agenda because Jesus don't play. So check this out. Seven sons of who who is a leading priest, were doing this. There were seven of them. But one time, when they tried it, I like that. They're just trying stuff. One time when they tried it, the evil spirit replied, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? (laughs) Then, this is my favorite part. This is like one of the best stories (laughs) in the whole Bible. Then the man who had the evil spirit, who's saying like, who are you, leaped on them. Can you visualize someone leaping on you? Grown man, probably a man dressed he leaped on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house, uh-oh, naked and battered. Can you imagine this UFC fight going down? They are in the coliseum of this house, and one dude's taking on seven dudes. And they're all brothers, you know. You can imagine their eyes widening and looking at one another like, what's going on? And that guy's naked. Oh, no. Like, what do we do? It was weird. It was definitely weird. But it was real. What you see is not all there is. And here's what happened. This is so interesting to me. Verse 17, it says, The story of what happened spread quickly all throughout Ephesus. You think? (laughs) Did you hear what happened at Bill's house? Oh, my goodness. And and get this, it didn't just stay among the Jews. No, no, everybody knows. This is like transcending, like we are like cross-culturally, this is getting into different language. Jews and everybody, everybody, you gotta, did you hear the story? This is so crazy. And here's what ended up happening. A solemn fear descended on the city and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. It's amazing these guys tried to take the name of Jesus to honor themselves with their little, job of casting out spirits, but at the end, Jesus is like, uh-uh. There's only one name that's going to be exalted, and that's mine. Many, many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. This was moving people to step over the line of faith. They were believing, because of the subjective experience, because of these stories that they're hearing, that this Jesus is more powerful than any other spiritual force. They began to confess their sinful practice. And check this out, verse 19, a number of them who had been practicing sorcery, oh, we talked about that, brought their incantation books and they burned them at a public bonfire. The value of the books was several million dollars. So, I like how the Bible is just so calm. So, the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect crazy, right? So this is the church of Ephesus. This is what they knew. Their subjective experiences with demons, with spiritual things. They've seen this. They know that these guys got beat up and were naked and running around trying to find clothes. They knew that this evil spirit was there. They knew that Paul was casting out evil spirits. But how do we interpret all this? And so Paul As he's become an older man, he's left Ephesus. This is the church that he founded. He writes back to them and he says, I want to instruct you. I'm going to give you some words of wisdom. I want to help you know how to think about some things. And we can't dismiss everything we've talked about. He begins by talking about who they are in Christ, their identity comes first, that they're no longer living an old life, but they're living a new life. They've stepped over the line of faith. He talks about how this new society is gonna be super diverse. It's not just made up of rich, but it's also made up of poor. It's not just made up of one type of person. It's not just men. It's not just women. No, it's both genders. It's not just... Uh, the Jews, no, 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 the, the, the Gentiles, the non they're all included. We are doing life differently. And then he actually goes through, which we talked about last week, of what does it look like to live in this new society? Hey, there's some different ways we're going to carry ourselves. And we're not covering it today, but it even talks about what marriage is supposed to look like in this new society. And it even talks about how we're supposed to parent in this new society. But when we get to the end of his letter, his final thing that he wants to communicate to the people, the Christians, those who stepped over the line of faith at the church of Ephesus, is he wants them to understand some spiritual realities. They had subjective personal experiences, but now Paul wanted to help them interpret those correctly. And so here's what he says. This is his final word. This is his final admonition. And we're going to look at it together, Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse number 10. And he starts, he says, a final word. This is Paul. This is my final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against Evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Do you know that we're in a time of evil? Then, after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. It's the only offensive object in this whole thing, the sword of the Spirit, the word of God. Verse 18 says, Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert. And be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And Paul says, pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. I am in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador. So pray I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. In Dean Palmer's book, The Gospel Isn't Just About Me, here's what he writes. This is so good. Once upon a time, the kingdom of God was full of peace and one accord. All were united under one kingdom. One king, one culture. Only God Most High had dominion over the domain. All gave glory to God who was and is and is to come, the Alpha and the Omega. But things didn't stay that way. One of those heavenly beings called Lucifer, or the Shining One, rebelled against the king. uh, Understand this, it wasn't a rebellion because of his low position. Rather, it was quite to the contrary. Scripture describes Lucifer as the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty, covered in every precious stone. We read this in Ezekiel 28. He possessed not only beauty... And wisdom, but also a high position. He was the anointed cherub who covers, and some people think that this means that his wings actually covered the very throne of God. Yet for all that, Lucifer was not satisfied. He let the beauty that God bestowed upon him corrupt him. We read that his heart was lifted up because of his beauty. He corrupted his wisdom for the sake of his splendor, and sin rose in his heart. The prophet Isaiah describes the result of Lucifer's sin when he says this How you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. No longer was he the anointed cherub who covers. In fact, in Isaiah 14, we read this five times. Lucifer says in his heart, I will. And I want you to see these five I will statements. He says that I will ascend into heaven. This is Lucifer. I I will ascend into heaven. I, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of congregation. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds and I will be like the most high. Lucifer no longer wanted to give God glory, nor did he want God to have dominion over him. He wanted his own kingdom. He wanted to be king. Lucifer thought that if he sat on the throne, that would make him the king. But just sitting on the throne doesn't make you the king, does it? We know that a throne is handed down through a royal bloodline, something that Lucifer could never claim. So he wanted something that he could never be, or at least not be without a war. And so Lucifer is the first to commit treason. What is treason? Treason is the crime of betraying one's sovereign authority. God dismissed Lucifer from his high position because Lucifer wanted the throne. Not because Lucifer did drugs, not because Lucifer had sex outside of marriage, not because he stole, not because he murdered, or anything else. Lucifer no longer wanted the will of God, but he wanted his own I will. Lucifer's I wills, were the reason that he could no longer serve as the anointed cherub of God, the glorious one. And Lucifer became Satan, which means the adversary or the accuser. And he lost his position in heaven because he elevated his will above God's will. When Lucifer declared his will to sit on the throne and to be like the Most High, no longer was all creation united in obedience to God. And like all would-be kings, Satan sought a following. The Bible says that one-third of the angels followed Lucifer and were cast out of heaven. But Satan also desired that this new creation of God, humanity, created in God's image, would follow him as well. And in the Garden of Eden, Satan successfully deceived Eve into eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But it's interesting that we read that Adam was not deceived. The Bible is really clear. Eve was deceived, Adam was not. But Adam still ate Why did Adam eat from the tree in the Garden of Eden? Some people are like, well, it's just because the woman gave it to him. It's the woman's fault. I'm like, okay, maybe. Or maybe, just maybe, Adam wanted to be like God. Adam wanted to sit on the throne. Adam wanted his will above God's will. After Adam brought sin into the world, Satan's kingdom expanded as humankind expanded. As mankind reproduced, yeah, not so good. And here's the thing, you get to us, every single one of us has been a citizen under Satan's jurisdiction. Every one of us has followed Satan's motto, I will. We've each committed Treason against God. And until we step over the line of faith and put our trust in Jesus, we are a citizen of Satan's kingdom. I said this in a previous week, but Christianity, it it isn't a comfort zone. It's a war zone. And the battle is waging not against flesh and blood, but it's waging in a world that we don't necessarily see. And it is over your Will. So, Paul, in his final words to those who'd stepped over the line of faith in the church of Ephesus, was twofold. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, he says, A final word be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. We sometimes bypass this to get to the armor of God, but no, it starts here. You got to be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. In this battle between two kingdoms, if you're going to stand firm on God's team, you're going to need strength, and that strength isn't going to come from you. You need strength in the Lord and in his mighty power. In other words, you're not strong enough to win this battle on your own. Victory is only found through Jesus. And number two, he then says, all right, you got to be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. But now number two, got to put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against the strategy of the devil. Uh, Notice Paul's language here. It's to stand firm. It's as though as a Christian, you already have the upper ground. You're you're on top of the hill. You have the strong position. Now your job is to hold the position. Stand firm. Don't let anything move you from this place that God has put you. And as we look at verse 12 again, this time in the New American Standard, it says this. It says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Your battle is not against other people. It's not against the government, or Republicans, or Democrats, or Hollywood, or your evil boss. Your fight and struggle is not against flesh and blood. But what is it against? It's against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness wickedness in the heavenly places. Some people believe that Paul here is outlining that there are different ranks here of demons, that there are these different categories of the rulers and the powers and the world forces and the spiritual forces. And so I, I don't know exactly what that category means, kind of like with the military. I don't know the difference between a general and a major. And private, like, I know that they exist. I don't know what they mean. All right, we don't have to necessarily know what this means to know this, that we have an enemy and the enemy is organized against you. And with all of that in mind, here's this connecting word in verse 13. Therefore, with all of that, stand firm, put on this armor. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. And then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. It's interesting to note here that Paul is not inviting Christians at Ephesus into a spiritual battle. It's not like, hey, just want to let you know you haven't seen it, but there's a spiritual battle going on and you should go and engage in it. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying, listen, the fight is already on. It's time to put some armor on. Like you may not know this, but you're already in the fight. And if you don't know you're in the fight, that could be problematic because you're probably not winning. The fight is already on. You need armor. And I think we also should say here that there is a difference between spiritual attacks and consequences. (laughs) Some people want to make everything a spiritual attack. Oh, I got into this car accident. Satan was just out to get me. Or maybe you shouldn't have been texting while you were driving. There you go. <laughs> I got fired from my job. I think my boss works directly for Satan. That or you should have showed up on time and worked hard and did what the boss said. Ah, oh, just the devil's out to get me. Now, I don't think so. There's a difference between spiritual attacks and consequences. And I think sometimes we blame God or blame Satan for a lot of things. And and so is it possible that depression, anxiety, and stress could be spiritual attacks? It could be. But it could also very much be that those are self-care issues. So not every bad problem is because of demons. If so, like, my wife and children are from the devil because there's some problems that we have. (laughs) Not every bad problem is because of demons. Okay? So here's some things that demons can do. And this is just from Scripture. Demons influence the leaders of nations. If you can take down the leadership, man, you can have everybody kind of follow. It's interesting as our world has new laws and new things going into effect, isn't it? It's kind of scary. Demons influence the leaders of nations. We see that in Daniel chapter 10 verse 13. Demons actually desire to inflict suffering on you. If the devil can get you to get caught up in your suffering, he can get you to take your eyes off of Jesus. Never allow pain to be an excuse for your disobedience to God. Demons, they scheme to lure you away from God. They do anything they can. I I always felt like demons were, uh, you know, how, how, how how can the enemy lure me away from God? It's not by presenting really bad things to me because I don't want really bad things. It's by presenting good things that just aren't God's thing. Oh, how about this really nice house? And how about this car? And how about this job that pays really well? And then all of a sudden, next thing you know, all you're thinking about is trying to keep that house and keep that car. And all of a sudden, you're making some decisions in your workplace that you wouldn't normally make in order to keep this money coming in, in order to sustain the standard of living. And while it was once a blessing of God, it becomes this other thing. And I think Satan's like, yep, yep gotcha, got your eyes off of Jesus. I win. We need to be careful about the schemes that are happening in a world that we don't even see that's in the world of our desires. And the final thing is that demons want to paralyze you with fear. Fear is the opposite of faith. I can get you to be fearful. I can get you to not follow God to not be full of faith and to believe. So my question kind of for you guys today is, is if spiritual attacks are real, and we understand that they're different than consequences, is it possible that you've been experiencing spiritual attacks and just maybe never identified it that way? Is it possible that your enemy, the devil, and those who follow him, may be trying to screw up your marriage, Maybe trying to screw up your morality, maybe trying to screw up your friendships, maybe introducing you to addictions and lusts and lies, maybe carrying you with discouragement or mental health issues. Like, is it possible that there are some spiritual attacks taking place in your life that maybe you've never identified? See, the armor that Paul outlines for us could be based on the armor of one of the Roman soldiers that were guarding him while he was in jail. Like, he probably watched this Roman guard. Put his armor on. And he's probably sitting there writing this letter, like, all right, I see. He's starting with the belt, okay? He puts the breastplate on. He puts these things on. And he, he begins to talk about how we need to be prepared to stand against these spiritual attacks. And I think it's interesting that the first two items that, that he puts on, the belt and the breastplate, are kind of ethical items. It's the belt of truth and it's the breastplate of righteousness. If we're going to stand, we need truth, not lies, not subjective truth. We need objective, divine truth from God. And if we're going to live rightly, if we're going to live with righteousness, we have to know what God calls right, which is also based on truth. It's not right in my own eyes, it's right in his eyes. And so the very first place that we start in our pursuit of standing firm is with truth, and right living. And that's where the enemy attacks first. You have a porn addiction that you've never confessed, you've never shared about, you're going to have a real hard time standing firm. You have an addiction, you have something that you're doing in private that nobody knows about that you know is wrong, you're violating your own conscience, it's going to be real hard for you to stand and go the way that God wants When you've allowed there to be disobedience in your life, I know I should tithe, but I just quit because I felt like I needed other things. You stop trusting God. You've stopped doing what God's called you to do. And you wonder why your life's not looking like it ought to. Where'd the blessings of God go? You abandon God by the decisions you made. And if you want God back on your side, take a step towards him. He says that he will draw near to those who draw near to him. When you're walking away from him, don't wonder why the blessings of God aren't flowing on your life. It starts with truth and righteousness. In order to live with truth and righteousness, we must daily remove ourselves from the throne that belongs to Jesus. We must daily declare, not my will be done, but your will. Every day. It's, I've, I've done this illustration in the past. It's silly, but it works. There's a throne that God is supposed to sit on in your life. He's the only one who can sit there. He's the only true king. But I, every morning when I wake up, find myself here. Oh, and I like it. It's me calling the shots on my world. Oh yeah, I'm the king. And I want everybody to serve me. I want it to be my way or no way at all. My will, and I find myself every day trying to build my own little kingdom here. But I don't belong here. Sometimes what I do is I think, you know what, I'm having a hard time building my kingdom. I'm gonna share the throne with Jesus. (laughs) He gets a cheek, I get a cheek. (laughs) Did you know that God doesn't share the throne with anyone? This is still treason. I'm in the place that he belongs. Nothing changes in your life when you remain on this throne. I don't care what your prayer is. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. If you're still sitting here, there's no life change. God's Holy Spirit's not coming and dwelling in you. It doesn't matter what words you go through, what mechanical motions you say, until you get off of the throne Get on your knees and say, God, forgive me for wanting to do things your way. Forgive me for trying to just do it my way. I, I, not my will, your will. God, it's not about me, it's about you. God, I surrender me to you and you're in charge. God, I want anything that you've created in me that I can get glory for. God, I want to give it back to you because it's all about you, Jesus. And I want to find myself at the feet of Jesus every day. This is salvation. I don't care what prayer you prayed, until you get off of the throne, there is no life change. And every day, I have to continually get off of the throne. I find myself back on there in the morning. (laughs) All right. It's a new day. Oh, wait. This is the day that the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad tonight because it's him. Every day, I have to get off of the throne. Not my will be done, but yours. Every day, it's a place of re-surrender. And Paul says this as he gets down to the very end of this, this passage here. He talks about all the different pieces of God's armor, which you can spend a lot of time talking about, but he says this in verse 18. He says, pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. I think we need to recognize that your prayers are far more powerful than you know it's a bit of a mystery. I don't know how prayer works exactly. But we are encouraged over and over again to pray in the Spirit at all times. And on every occasion, even this occasion, that occasion too. We need to stay alert and we need to be persistent in our prayers. For not, oh, not for yourself, but for all believers everywhere. When was the last time you prayed for the people that are sitting around you? You pray for those that are Christians? Do you pray for those that are going through it? I don't know if you know this, but the people around you are going through it. They're experiencing spiritual attacks. Are you praying for them? Are you praying that they will stand strong, that God will meet them where they're at, that they will surrender their will, that they'll make sure every day to get off of the throne? We should pray about everything and then probably pray some more. And perhaps one of the most important tools when we're positioned at the feet of Jesus is Prayer and communion, and communication with the Father, in which I'm learning him, and knowing him, and knowing his heart, and knowing what he loves, and hating what he hates, as I begin to embrace the culture of him, the king, I'm a part of his kingdom, that's when things begin to change. And so as we wrap up this series, I want to encourage you to know that the supernatural world is real. I want you to know that Christ has already given us victory. And when we combat the spiritual world, we're not at a place of, I've got to try to win ground. No, Jesus has already created us uh, to be on the victory side. He's already conquered the grave. It's just not finalized for us yet. We're fighting from a place of victory. And so I want you to know this, that God is in control, God's team wins, and God's power is greater. So no matter what challenge you may be facing, no matter what the attack may be, remember Jesus' words in John 16, These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. Where's the peace found? In him. In this world, guess what? You have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Thank you for listening to this message. For more information, please visit newlifekc.com.